Equity is brought to you by ExaCrunch, that prodigious TechCrunch paywall you keep running into. You can break through that paywall at a steep discount if you use the promo code equity. If you do, you'll get access to our best stuff and you'll make equity look really good internally at the same time. Enough of that, let's start the show. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I have my two faves with me today. I have Natasha Moscarenas. Natasha, how is Jersey? Jersey is better than Bitcoin, as it usually is. Yes, but we're going to get emails about that because people don't like Jersey and they do like Bitcoin. So send them all to Natasha, not me. Thanks. Uh, we also have Danny Crichton. Danny, you're our Brooklyn boy. How's it going over there? Unlike Bitcoin, my supply of Claritin tokens, as I would call them, has, has grown tremendously over the last week. So I'm extremely excited by my inventory and portfolio. So Claritin's more of a stable coin, I feel, than a, than a Bitcoin equivalent. So I think you should really compare it to Tether if we're going to get technical about the Claritin-Bitcoin analogy, right? It's a proof of allergy protocol. I got it. Oh, God. Guys, we're losing our <laughs> listeners as we speak. <laughs> Tying to that Ethereum, I hear, is moving to proof of stake over proof of work. There you go. Uh, listen, we have an enormous show for you today. We had to cut so much stuff to get through to just enough stuff to fit into the show. So we're going to kick off with a discussion of some startups that raise money that are working to connect people, creators to fans, friends to friends, and coworkers to coworkers. Then we're going to talk about piano, the broader content world, what's going on in media startup land. Move to Uptrust, which is all about de-incarceration, which I absolutely adore. And then we're going to wrap with a couple of notes on some IPOs that are going on, including Monday.com, Marketa, and Squarespace. It's going to be a blast, but let's kick off with a little bit of news, Natasha, about our own show. What happened and why are we the coolest people in the entire world? We won the thing. We won the web beat that we have been campaigning so hard for. It was really exciting and honestly, one of those earnest moments where I just really appreciate all of you. And I don't think we say that on the show ever, but... I really appreciate all of you guys. Well, I'm going to make a point here. I don't care about our listeners at all because our listeners didn't show up to vote. We didn't win the People's <laughs> Choice Award. No, we I did think not. we were five out of five for the People's Choice Award. Okay, we were the anti-People's Choice we Award. We are hated. Well, we won, which is, in my view, far superior, is the Judge Award by people who are professional judgers, if you will. So, Danny, one, don't insult the audience on the show. You saved that for before or after the show. And two, I think we should have just cheated harder. I think we should have cheated more efficiently about the vote process and stuffed that ballot box. But we didn't because we're ethical. <laughs> that was probably a mistake. We are an award-winning award podcast, though, and that is an amazing thing. We're going to be insufferable about that for a short period of time on Twitter. But let's put that behind us. Let's talk about some companies, and we're going to kick off with Fave. Had either of you heard of this company before we covered the seed round? Because it was new to me. I have not. No, I hadn't either. Obviously, the headline is a headline we see a lot these days, which is X is connecting Y to Z. And I think it's really <laughs> cool to see... Founders taking advantage of everyone wanting to hang out right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Fave, F-A-V-E, has put together a $2.2 million seed round, and it was founded by Jaquel Amoncona Horton, who spent seven years at Google. And what it is, is kind of like a, a, a place to build targeted communities around particular fandoms. To kind of put that into context, the first Fave group that they're building is about Swifties. Taylor Swift fans. Danny, are you familiar with this part of the, the fan culture world, or is this not something that has reached your ears? No, I, I, I'm familiar with it. Okay, fantastic. Okay, I wasn't sure how, how broad the Swifties phenom is, but as a non-card carrying, but still part <laughs> of the Swiftie fandom member, I'm pretty excited about this. Here's my question, though. How, how many times can you replicate that? Because if you go to the Faith website, they have a list of other possible fandoms they're going to put together, like the BTS army. 
I, I wonder how many times Faith can kind of build this out and then monetize it. Yeah. So I would say that I'm loosely optimistic, but very curious about Tam, I suppose. I think it's super interesting because, you know, generally it's the creators and the managers behind those creators who are building out these fan communities, mm -hmm. right? They, they put the infrastructure in place, they connect folks together, and it's very community-driven ultimately, but, you know, it, it generally has some, some structure. It seems like they want to start with the fans themselves. Yeah. Right. And, and and sort of go around the creators or just keep the creators out of it entirely. And I, I think that's actually a very different model than a lot of the other startups we've seen in the last couple of months. I'll just add to some validation. I think like seeing comment sections on celebrity or influencers pages shows you how lacking we are around technology to get fans in one place. I mean, one of the biggest forums for TikTok gossip is an Instagram page where everyone individually comments, Oof. including these millionaire influencers themselves. And so, you know, even if the influencer doesn't eventually come into Fave's world and doesn't need it, it seems like fans will always want a place to talk. And it would be great to see one that's more savvy than a comment section. One last note about this is kind of who's backing it. So I'm going to read the investor list here and see if you can catch the theme that I'm spotting. Female Founders Fund, HYBE, which is H-Y-B-E, all caps, Sony Music, Warner Music, Concord Music, Quality Control, Right Hand Management, Techstars Music, and Betaworks. Now, Quality Control, if you don't know, is a, is a record label that supports artists like Migos and so forth, kind of the Atlanta rap scene. So Sony, Warner, Concord, Quality Control, Right Hand Management. I mean, to me, this is almost like the music industry betting on a startup that's going to not legitimize per se, but weaponize fandoms to become more, I don't know, more powerful and therefore more lucrative. So you can kind of see where the money is coming from and, and, and what it means. But, you know, as an enormous music dork, I'm pretty positive about this. But let's move on. We've got a bunch of other companies in this group, including Somewhere Good, Natasha, which you wrote about, and I'm actually very hyped about this company. Please walk us through it. Yeah, Somewhere Good is founded by Naj Austin, who you might know as the same founder behind Ethel's Club, which is a subscription-based community for people of color. She, in response to the pandemic and just general, her community growing so large at Ethel's Club, found opportunity to create what she says, an answer to the gray space in community right now, which is there are a ton out there. You get a link on Twitter, you can join the Extra Crunch Discord, but you don't know how to search through different communities out there. Mm -hmm. And the experience right now is still super fragmented. And so Somewhere Good just raised a couple million bucks to help people discover new worlds and join into them in an easier way. I think what's so interesting here, okay, so, so the, the pitch line is no advertisements, no user profiles, no friending, no following, and no feed. What do you do? <laughs> is there something after that? Like, it's a silent retreat. What is a community without a feed? I think it's the biggest challenge for them. I mean, the, the answer Naj gave me is that, and they're still kind of figuring out their beta, so I did not use the platform, I'll be clear. Once you enter a world within somewhere good, you are thrown into a group chat. And you can message, obviously you, can, you will have a name, I believe, of some sorts. And you'll be in a group chat with other people around a certain topic. Therefore, Think about like the equity fandom, for example. We would have an equity world where we all could be there and message with other people in that world. The idea being that there's no one moderator, there's no one person that's kind of looking and talking and sending prompts. The equity fandom would need a moderator because our moms are all very <laughs> well behaved. Okay, yeah, bad example. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. So in this view, I think it's like a lightweight discord, right? So instead of having all this like, infrastructure and you have to onboard and you have to like acculturate the idea here i think is a little bit more like flash communities yeah which in and of itself is quite interesting i mean I, i'll be interested to see if it sustains part of me thinks that a lot of the the challenges with community startups is they demand so much time continuously yeah. from everyone and instead of saying like look you know there's a football game every sunday 
let's have a flash mob that all you know talks about the football game live and then we we disappear for the rest of the week right we don't need these communities that have to be 24 7 so i could see a model where you know you're attached to that world but you don't have to be actively monitoring the stream every single day yeah but you know we may be a little bit skeptical about what this is going to become but investors are putting quite a lot of capital behind it it put together a 3.75 million dollar round led by true ventures some prior investors put money in as well dream machine which is alexia Tsotsis's fund alexia is our old boss here at tc and then she left to go found a fund also in their debut capital canvas ventures and a couple of new investors including slosson and co next few ventures and 2pm inc i've never heard of 2pm i do not know anything about it 2pm inc is amazing you need to read that newsletter what is it all about e-commerce oh written by web smith great this is why i should have asked you before the show what it is instead of saying that i don't know (laughs) on the show it's sounding stupid but we're gonna scoot on danny Another startup in this communications grouping together, Phenom, is Spoken. I believe it's pronounced. Is that correct? Yeah. So we have Spoken and Spot Meeting. So two companies in this, I would call it audio-focused enterprise software space. So two different directions, about the same amount of money. Uh, We'll start with Spoken. So Spoken wants to create audio podcast networks inside of companies, right? So unlike Equity, which is broadcast to the world, this is about broadcasting internally. So you could imagine not just your internal comms from the CEO and all those AMAs and TJFs and all these meetings you're supposed to do with updates that I ignore all those emails and they go straight to trash. The idea here is to make it much more engaging, audio focused, but also to allow individual employees to create their own podcast that could be directed to other parts of the company. So you could imagine the engineering team having a podcast, the sales team having a podcast, basically connecting particularly the largest companies together in a a medium that's more familiar to everyday people. Culture will matter so much here with its end customers. Because I imagine at a place like TechCrunch, if we were given the opportunity to do internal podcasts, (laughs) it would be amazing, but chaotic. Like we would just be doing sarcastic jokes the entire time. And so I wonder who their end customer is and how seriously they're taking comms internally. You know, as I wrote in the story, of course, companies can screw up podcasting just as much as they've screwed up every other medium <laughs> to communicate like humans. Yes. But the, I think the key here is by democratizing a lot of this communications internally, you know, we're moving from the Slack world where it's quick text messages. And here it's a little bit more produced. You can imagine there are studios being built. One of their examples, the Podium CEO, he actually built out a podcast studio next to his office because he got so excited about podcasting using Spoken that he now does it regularly. So it's only a couple months old. It's gotten a ton of traction among Silicon Valley startups, and it raised $4 million in a seed led by Anne at NEA. But Danny, not the only company in this little audio section. We also have Spot Meetings, which raised $5 million, so slightly more. Slightly more. Spot Meetings is focused on the walk and talk. So if you've ever watched an Aaron Sorkin movie and or TV <laughs> show like The West Wing, it is that, except for Zoom. Wow. Right? So instead of sitting in front of your desk and being totally you know, barfed into your brain with bad video... The idea with Spot is to say, hey, you know, go on a walk. Let's make that as accessible as possible. So it offers voice commands in the meetings. You don't have to take out your phone. It'll take notes. It'll transcript. It tries to highlight the most important parts of the transcript so that you're able to focus on what matters. It sends email follow-ups after the meeting so you don't lose all the information on what you just discussed on the walk. So the idea is to just make audio the native format for meetings going forward. Yeah, I mean, Spot feels like something that would have never started if it wasn't for the pandemic. Not because it, people weren't doing walk and talks, they always have been, but just that level of like intricate note-taking interbred with calls being part of our entire calendar these days, it just feels like a pandemic company that I would love to use as a journalist. Lots of interest here. $5 million led by, by Ilya Fushman of Kleiner Perkins. And that's after a 1.9 million seed round from chapter one. And, and Natasha, I believe you had that story and dropped it a few months ago. So I'm curious, why wasn't it worth it two months ago? 
And am I stupid for covering the company? <laughs> I, I forget the big reason. I mean, bandwidth probably. But I think part of the reason I'm skeptical about it, even though I think it's like a useful company, is humans are so lazy. I can't imagine <laughs> downloading or using a new app. I mean, I barely use the Zoom dial-in. I ignore Zoom dial-ins all the time and just call people's cells. So I just can't imagine adding in yet another tool. Of course, I think they said when I talked to him that he's integrating with the calendar and it could be more seamless. But I just think the fact that there is there has to be any buy-in at all is too much buy-in for me. <laughs> So that's the crux of consumer products in 2021. I'm going to be very, very curious to see how far of a remit it can get outside of Silicon Valley startups. Because as a recent YC graduate, it has good purchase inside of probably its, its fellow cohort in that class. So yeah. I'm going to be curious to see what this looks like. But let's move on to a, a much larger round from a product that we do use currently, namely Piano. Danny, this is the question mark round of the week, given the amount of money and also one of its investors. So tell the people what happened and why we're perplexed. Everyone's putting up a paywall. Every large enterprise media company wants to charge subscription. Piano is, for most legacy media companies, the paywall option of choice of the ones that can integrate the most with legacy backend systems. They're not as up to date as Substack or Pico or a lot of the other options on the market. And so Piano raised $88 million this year in a Series C, led by their former backer Updata Partners, along with Rittenhouse Ventures participating. And most interestingly, LinkedIn, out of nowhere, I didn't even know they were invested in anything besides annoying me with additional crap in the feed. But apparently LinkedIn also joined the round. And so I think the big question is, first of all, why LinkedIn? Because that's like a <laughs> little wild card. But how big is this becoming? Because they've now announced that they had 1,000 customers and 400% revenue growth since 2019. So clearly subscription is doing super well. And they seem to be primed to be leading in sort of that older enterprise space, which is still today the largest chunk of media. So one thing that Ingrid wrote in her story about this was that Piano wouldn't disclose its valuation, but she wrote, quote, I understand it's operating on a $75 million annual run rate. So that is much bigger than I guess Piano was, because like I, I think of Piano as this app that we use here at TechRungeon, you know. It's fine. A sweet tool. I have some questions about things that I would change, but at least it doesn't log me. Look, look, okay. Shout out to the piano team because the worst part of piano forever was the fact that it would log you out every like 38 seconds and it no longer does that. It logs me out like every six hours, which is fine. <laughs> it used to be like, I would like go away for a minute, come back and it'd be like, who are you? And I'd be like, that's me and WordPress right now. Oh my I'm God. Like, WordPress is an, another kettle of fish, but I I'm excited about piano doing well because frankly, you know, no one likes the fact that paywalls are taking over the media world kind of in general, but they also are paying the bills here at TC and other places. And so it's great to see companies that are powering them do well. And, you know, this is a lot of money on, on a media trend, essentially. It's a big bet on a media trend that, that the three of us, frankly, eat off of. So to me, it's an oddly feel-good moment for a VC round, if that makes sense. One quick moment on the LinkedIn dynamic is that LinkedIn's SEO is insane. And when I was at the Globe, it accounted for so many of our clicks. Like most of our traffic came from LinkedIn. Therefore, LinkedIn having a stake in an analytics tool, I could see it being a really juicy thing to upsell into subscriptions for LinkedIn plus or gold or premium or whatever. And a lot of media companies are now actually doing deals with LinkedIn to actually put their membership premium content onto LinkedIn directly, right? So you can imagine Extra Crunch, we don't do this as far as I know, but Extra Crunch content, those tips, tricks, you know, all the tools to build your startup could be on LinkedIn in some way that, you know, is a rev share. So I, I think that's the strategy because I think a lot of the membership and subscription products that have used Piano, frankly, are in professional, you know, media publications. Yeah. And I just want to throw in, I just pulled up the TechCrunch analytics. Our traffic analytics are not on Piano. They're on Parsley, but our 
subscription analytics are on piano. Welcome to the fun game of web analytics. LinkedIn is currently, uh, for today, I didn't do any historical search, but LinkedIn is our second biggest social referrer. See, we joke about LinkedIn on the show, the three of us, but I think everyone else uses LinkedIn day to day and on purpose, whereas we tend to suffer. There's a reason it hasn't been disrupted. I try to use LinkedIn until it eats all my RAM on my computer with its five gigabyte tab. And the little Safari logo comes up and it's like, this page is eating your battery life and you will die shortly if you do not close it. Fix that. I'll join on more often. Little did we know that LinkedIn is the real reason Apple made the M1 chip. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a surprising turn of event. Exactly. I, I want to make one more point about this, though, before we move on, which is that you know, I was reading through, again, Ingrid. One thing I love about Ingrid on the TechCrunch team is whenever she writes a story, it's always like eight paragraphs longer than you expect because she just gets great stuff from people. And so in, in this story, she was talking to the, uh, I think it was the CEO of Piano, and he was just kind of throwing shade at Substack and kind of the indie model and really kind of repping hardcore for like bigger publications putting up paywalls. I mean, just a quote, I can't imagine a more damaging entity for journalism than Substack. I mean, as far as like company quotes go, yeah. that's like ghost pepper spicy. That's like as, <laughs> as high as it gets. Normally you get like pre-chewed oatmeal from CEOs. This is fantastic. And I, again, as a writer, I love watching different companies with lots of money beat each other up, trying to make my world more lucrative. How often does that happen? Talking about Ghost Pepper, hot. I mean, obviously, media in general is super hot, even outside of, you know, the subscription management products. I mean, Alex, a ton of companies have announced new initiatives to launch, not just like hiring a journalist. I mean, that was the old model is just hiring a single journalist. Now they're hiring fleets of people to go and, and launch media orgs. What's going on there? So if you go back in time, Think back to the prior days when GigaOM was a network of blogs and VentureBeat and TechCrunch were competing with Mashable for becoming the leading voice and covering the startup world. Back in, you know, the mid-2000s, if you, before we got to the tens and teens and so forth, there was a, a pretty active blogosphere kind of covering the tech world. And since then, there's been a lot of consolidation. TechCrunch is still standing. Mashable has been sold to Zip Davis and VentureBeat's kind of doing its own thing. And, you know, it's not quite the same world. So what we're seeing is companies try to fill a bit of the gap maybe out there by building out their own media organizations. And the news this week from Axios is that Coinbase, you know, a company we've talked about ad nauseum on the show, is looking to hire a team of about 30 people to build a cross-platform media operation. 30 people is an enormous investment. I mean, like, I don't, Danny, you'll know this. How many editorial staffers are there at TC? Around 35. Around 35. So they're going to essentially hire an entire internal tech crunch. Not that we're jealous of their budget, but yes, we are. <laughs> and, and so this raises a lot of questions, you know, for us about, you know, what, what people are doing and so forth. And there's, there's two things going on here. One, I think, is the kind of anti-media shtick that we've heard from Anderson Horowitz to some degree. And, you know, Coinbase, of course, is an interesting company and blah, 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 blah. But also, I think there's just a, a real recognition that content marketing in a broad sense is a super effective way for companies to generate long-term, low-cost customers. And, you know, if you're Coinbase, you probably want to be the center of the universe for the crypto world, Danny. And that's kind of my take about this. I think one of the challenges, if you go back 10 years, you had very fresh channels like social Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, that were not saturated. I mean, you could get really yeah. cheap CPMs across all those different channels. It was super easy to grow. And today it's just not the case. It is so competitive on those channels. They're so expensive. The CPMs versus the LTV for a lot of these customers makes no sense whatsoever. And so it just makes more sense relative to the other options available to say, well, content marketing is something we control on our own blog, with our own staff, with our own budget. And we can monitor that performance over time using tools like HubSpot and more modern ones as well. And so to me, like, that's the solution for most of these companies. The, the thing is, it's not 
journalism. Yeah. And most of these companies obviously aren't media companies. And so they have a very weird relationship with how they think about producing this sort of content. Natasha and I, I'm back at TC. Natasha is first time at TC from our Crunchbase News Days, building out a independent media organization at a startup. This is not that. The, the goal here is to do essentially content marketing and also like to talk up the company's book. And so there, there's two ways to do this. You can like build an internal media-ish arm that's kind of like your own hype squad, or you can build an independent publication. As we're going to see here in a second with some other stuff that we're going to talk about in the media landscape, it's hard to do the independent route. It's easier to do what Danny just described, which is to build a content marketing operation. Inside of the crypto world, of course, there's sites like The Block and Decrypt and Blockworks and Coindesk. And so there's, there's a lot of companies that are kind of working in this space. It'll be fun to see how Coinbase does, but not even the only Andreessen company to do this. Natasha, we also have Clubhouse out there looking to hire freelance journalists, which I found perplexing. So somebody explain this to me and, and why this makes sense. I'm not going to bite the clubhouse poison apple this week, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> no, but I think clubhouse hiring freelance journalists is interesting because if you look at TechCrunch's homepage, half is about creators that spend a good bit of their time on clubhouse or are working on a space adjacent to clubhouse. And so if they do it from a, we're going to cover the creator economy perspective, that would be potentially interesting. But if they do it as like freelance journalists implanted in Clubhouse to report on the daily happenings of Clubhouse, which was my first but probably not accurate read of the situation, that would be more interesting, but probably not going to happen. I don't see Clubhouse reporting on Clubhouse in a nuanced way. Who would have thought that actually having a firewall between business and reporting would in some way be valuable in the 21st century? Wow, who could have guessed? <laughs> well, that was cynicism. I will say, you know, for all these different content marketing plays, what's interesting to me is, you know, Clubhouse is building out its editorial operation. Coinbase is building out an editorial operation. Robinhood is building out an editorial operation. But other companies are choosing not to just build out something from scratch and trying to build it up over a year or two. They're just buying out wholesale properties. So we learned last year or a couple months ago that HubSpot acquired The Hustle. Yes. And then the skin we found out recently is exploring to being sold to a, quote, non-media company, which I found was super interesting positioning. And, you know, this doesn't always go well. Mel Magazine, kind of a darling of the Twitterati, if you will. I think a lot of my Twitter friends really loved Mel Magazine was kind of killed off after Dollar Shave Club was sold. And then I think it lost an internal champion and kind of got killed. So, you know, the, the, the independent Kamel Magazine route, very expensive, very difficult. We'll see what the skim and the hustle get to. And then finally, a couple of other tiny notes about the media world. Lots more unionization amongst digital media companies. Forbes is going through this. The Ziff Davis group is threatening another strike, solidarity with them. And it's just a fun time to cover media. We joked during our prep meeting yesterday that we could literally do a weekly podcast now just on the comings and goings in the digital media space writ large. And it's, it's hard to not kind of just focus on that entirely. But friends, let's move on talk about uptrust. Danny, rarely does my interest in reducing mass incarceration cross with my interest in startups. And yet here we are. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, so UpTrust is building on an app basically to help returning citizens meet their appointments, their obligations, all the rules that come with being on parole or, or, or leaving prison. You know, there are a lot of technical violations in states like New York spend $700 million a year basically imprisoning people who maybe showed up late to a parole hearing or, you know, were in a car with someone with a, a criminal record, which is oftentimes illegal under the, the rules they face. And so it's trying to help people to avoid those technical violations, to avoid being sent back to prison. Basically a win-win for saving money for the state, as well as helping people kind of readjust to normal life. They signed a contract with the state of Virginia, and it's going to be expanding statewide by the end of this year, early next year, which to me was like 
even more interesting than the fact that it raised money to begin with because getting in cahoots with a state in general is like the biggest hurdle for startups in this space, I believe. Kudos there for making that happen for them. It's definitely a slow approach, right? So they were founded in 2015, launched in 2016. They were in 30 states 18 months ago. They really found their stride. They raised 1.3 million that our, our former colleague, now venture capitalist John Schieber, reported on last year. They're now on 150 sites in 28 states. So massive growth there. Raised 2 million from a, a trio of investors, which I think is super interesting. So the Decarceration Fund, which is new and is actively being fundraised, Luminate, and the Stand Together Ventures Lab. I just want to point out how excited I am that there's a group called the Decarceration Fund. And if I was allowed to become an LP and things, I would put money into that because what a great use of capital to reduce mass incarceration. I, I think that as we see more companies tackle things like cannabis legalization and getting people's records cleaned up and so forth, like there, there's a, probably a whole sector of startups and software here that could be built that could really improve people's lives. And if you do build that, we'll probably talk about it. So there's a tiny yeah. little hook. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's genuinely like a venture-sized opportunity yet again. And I feel like it's rare these days to be talking about venture-sized opportunities getting funded. But that's its own show itself. I just knew Pet Peeve is an obvious company getting funded. Well, talking about successful outcomes, it's not just uptrust, but a lot of updrafts on the markets these days. Because even though it's Friday, we're going to talk about Monday.com. Oh, Danny, I, I could smooch your face. That was amazing. Okay, so- Webby award-winning <laughs> jokes going on right here. The judges love the oh, groaners. Man. That's yeah. the one that we went on. The people's choice, the people don't understand the groaners. They they just don't comprehend them. But you know, the judges, they know because they're also probably 50, 60 I, I was about old. to say, it's because, the, it's because <laughs> Danny's jokes play well with boomers because Danny is a boomer at heart. That's that's the truth. All right, look, we're, we're a little short on time, so I'm going to be brief about this, but it has been crazy in my little world of companies going going public. So Monday.com filed to go public fittingly on Monday morning. So, you know, points to their IR team for getting that right. <laughs> it's a company we've covered quite a lot. Oh, by the way, Natasha is drinking Duncan right now. Uh, <laughs> a, a throwback to her disparagement of my Duncan fandom the other month. <laughs> Monday.com does, you know, internal corporate communications type stuff. It was long considered to be a bit of a competitor with the kind of asanas of the world, if you will. It's a little bit different to be clear, but that's kind of a bucket you can put it in. It grew quite a lot last year. Growth is accelerating a little bit into Q1 of this year, but it's going to be a really fun company to track. Also, uh, Marketa is going public, filed this week. Marketa, guys, is that card-issuing infra that's behind a lot of companies that you've heard about. So it's not super well-known, but has a fascinating economic profile thanks to its dependence on Square. If you want more detail about that, we have lots of posts about it. And then the interesting news, guys, that I want to discuss for just a hot second is Squarespace, because we've all heard of Squarespace, especially if you're a podcast fan. You have heard about Squarespace. <laughs> And it's one of those interesting companies because it bootstrapped for a long time. Excel, the investing group, showed up late and then put a bunch of money into it. And it kept growing and it kind of raised like a $10 billion valuation earlier this year. I think that may have been a secondary round, but it's immaterial. That's the price. And then it kind of went out at about 50 bucks a share was its reference price for its direct listing. And then that was a, a discount to its loss valuation. And then it dropped further. And I am a little perplexed at the reception it got, given it's it's a SaaS company, it's growing at 24%, you know? So, uh, Danny, a hypothesis from you about what's going on here, or are you as confused as I am? I think it's twofold. One is, is definitely growth rate. The multiples you see for most of these SaaS companies, when you're talking about 50, 60, 100x multiples, you know, that is based off of extremely, extremely fast growth rates, right? In some cases, three, four, five x. And to see 24% growth rates, I mean, let's be fair, 
24% is like anemic, right? Like the economy is growing at 24%, you know, week over week right now. Um, <laughs> certainly the crypto market is sometimes growing at 24% week over week. So to me, like that is a very bad sign. And then number two, of course, is that Squarespace mostly targets small businesses, many of which were wiped out. So I think a lot of investors are very worried about churn, turnover, higher marketing costs as new businesses come up, because Squarespace is going to have to reacquire a bunch of customers against Wix and other online website producing companies, Shopify, et cetera. And so there's just going to be a lot of higher S&M costs as revenues go down. So I, I think it's actually a pretty tough story temporarily. I think we'll get past that, but I, I, I understand why a lot of investors don't want this. Wow. That was, I thought you were going to say something like, eh, you never know. I disagree with bits of that, by the way. So in some coverage of this around its reference price, I, I went through the Bessemer Cloud Index list of public companies that are in the SaaS space, found a comp based on growth rate in Anaplan, which is trading at a much higher multiple than even Squarespace was shooting for in its reference price. And then it dropped lower than that. So we've seen companies trade at higher multiples with similar growth rates, just not this one. Well, I think the difference is obviously Anaplan probably has a significantly higher ASP, right? Like the average customer is spending a lot more on its Anaplan plan. That's a really bad name. Whereas Squarespace, again, is targeting small businesses. It's it, it, a massive, you know, think of it as I don't know how many customers they have, hundreds of thousands, millions of customers yeah. paying not that much to have an online presence, as opposed to, you know, a smaller number of customers that might be spending tens of thousands of dollars each on having kind of a SaaS infrastructure product. Uh, but but, but fucking ACV, dude. I mean, like even, you know, stronger net dollar retention amongst enterprise SaaS companies just out to aggregate revenue growth. And so if they're roughly the same, you know, I, I just I wonder how much of that really holds water. And, you know, I mean, like Squarespace is going to do 770 million revenue this year at its midpoint projection. So it, it's, a, it's a big company. It's not a, it, it, it's proven that SMB churn is tameable because it wouldn't have gotten to that scale without figuring that out. It would be cool to see Squarespace in general niche down in some way, it, it, like kind of what you were saying, Danny. It's like it's so vast, so many competitors that like I don't know what Squarespace's sweet spot is. And I think Shopify, it's a much easier story than Squarespace when it comes to like hosting and running companies. Maybe they need to become a, another fandom player, make some faves, find somewhere good and take over the world. On Mondays only. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. Just as, as a thing, Oatly is also going public this week. Procore it went public this week. And there's a bunch of other IPO news. I apologize for Danny's jokes. With that, we'll sign off. We'll see you guys Monday morning. Have a lovely weekend. And do not forget that equity won a wedding. Bye.